I'm Randy Rohde, and I'm fascinated with entrepreneurs and small business owners. Plus, I love baseball. Every show, I sit down with a small business owner, and we discuss their running the bases of entrepreneurship. We throw the ball around on strategy, management, execution, and innovation. Plus, a little fun baseball talk. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Settle in, grab your Cracker Jacks, and you know what they say. Play ball. All right, it's a great day for a ball game. And we got a real treat here because our next guest actually hails in the mecca of spring training right there in the middle of Arizona. So, so fun. This guy, he's married, father of five, has a brand new grandson uh, that bounces around on his knee. Two dogs, spent eight years in the Navy, and uh, thank you for your service, by the way, was the Sailor of the Year in 1988. I didn't even know they did anything like that. Got out of the Navy, did all kinds of different entrepreneurial endeavors and experiences, and we'll tap into some of those things. And then in 2011, he founded his current gig, Salterra Web Design. And uh, really excited to have on the show today, all the way from Scottsdale, Arizona, Terry Samuels. Terry, my man, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Yes. So before we get into all of your uh, incredible business experiences here, I do have to say, I think this was, I don't know, maybe a month or two ago, because you can play golf in Arizona anytime. But I do recall seeing, I think, in some social media, some pics and uh, uh, historical archiving your hole-in-one on a course there in Arizona. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was pretty incredible. And I'm I'm not a great golfer. I love golfing. Um, I golf every week with my kids. Um, and that was probably the coolest part about that was my kids were with me when it happened. Yeah. Um, so I think they were more excited than I was, but yeah, it was, uh, it was really cool. Um, yeah, it was about a month and a half ago and I haven't got any, I haven't got even close since, (laughs) you know, and and it was, I mean, it was a good shot. I mean, it was right in front of the green, but it stopped short and kind of just hobbed up there and went in the hole. So, um, it wasn't like a, it was a fancy backspin thing or anything. It was just, you know, an amateur got a lucky shot, I guess, but it was pretty cool. Well, I've met uh, a few of your sons and, uh, I can only imagine they were just jumping up and down and, uh, all excited for it. That had to be a yeah, great, it was, uh, it was pretty day. neat. It was, uh, and yeah. they bring it up all the time, especially when we golf that golf course. So, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, very fun. So in the Navy, I didn't have any idea that they did anything like sailor of the year. So is this like a specific area region of the Navy? Was it like the whole, yeah, it was, year? um, it was on the West coast and command, um, basically destroyer destroyer group one. And I don't remember how large it is or anything, but I want to say over the quarter, um, I was a nuclear welder. So I was, I don't know. It's kind of like the, a very specialized area of the Navy. Sure. And so I, um, I got, awarded a lot of things and I got recognition for a lot of things. Well, I did, I won sailor of the quarter and then, you know, six months later, I won sailor of the year and it was neat. I got accelerated advanced. So I got advanced from E4 to E5. So I was a very young E5, which was, um, you know, 
pretty cool. It's it pretty daunting. It actually taught me a lot about business because now I was put in charge of departments and shops uh-huh. where people in there were a lot older than me. So um, I walk into the electrician shop and, you know, it didn't have anything to do with welding. I was there more for management and everybody in there was older than I was. So it was very intimidating, but it taught me a lot about business. It taught me a lot about, you know, just if you get put in certain situations, you got to make the best of it. Sure. And, sure. You know, and so that's the, yeah. And it was, um, I don't know. I still have my coffee cup somewhere in my collection. <laughs> um, so I think that's all I got out of it. Maybe a plaque or something, but no, it was oh, pretty cool. The, it was, you got, um, you got extra, extra coin in your pocket though, going for me 45. Yeah, I did. And then it, it also, if I would have reenlisted another time, um, it would have definitely increased my bonus also. So oh. if I, I could have taken it a lot further and I was about a year from reenlistment for the second time. Um, when I won that and I, I had every intention of reenlisting, but my uh, wife at the time did not. <laughs> we'll just leave that conversation there. All right. Well, I do appreciate and thank you for uh, the time you spent and providing for the country. You know, you mentioned about learning some great skills from that experience in the Navy. And I am kind of curious. I would love to get your insights on those lessons from the Navy, how has that helped or guided your entrepreneurial spirits uh, and pursuits? Because I know coming out of the Navy, you've done a lot of different things and you could touch on some of those different uh, entrepreneurial pursuits uh, that you've accomplished. But um, I'm kind of curious, that Navy experience, what what did that contribute? I think the most thing is it, um, or the biggest thing it did was give me confidence. Um, I'm a very, very confident person. Even when I've lost everything, I stay confident that I could rebuild, I could redo stuff. I mean, sure, there's some sad times and, you know, especially when we lost our real estate company, um, but it didn't, it didn't deter me. And I, I credit a lot of that because of the stuff I had to go through in the Navy. Um, one people, I mean, you can't quit the Navy. You can't just yeah. say, ah, oh, screw it. I'm out of here. <laughs> you know, like you can't a restaurant or, you know, a traditional job. So, you know, and I learned going into the Navy um, and actually I went in the Navy, my choice was Navy or jail. So I actually got my high school diploma while I was in the Navy. So, and so, but I did realize very early on in in the Navy, even in boot camp, that if I'm going to be stuck here, I'm going to make the best of it. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to, you know, and it kind of just changed my whole attitude on a lot of things. Um, And, and that just continued through. And I, every time I got advanced, every time I went to school, every time they offered me opportunities, I'd never said no. I took everything, mm. you know, and and I think that, you know, I think you have to do that, especially if you're in situations you can't get out of. You know, there's no reason to be a troublemaker or be depressed or be sad or whatever, because you're stuck in a situation. Um, I just think that, you know, you make the best of it and you do the best of your ability and, you know, work at getting better. And I think that's the biggest thing the time in the Navy taught me, especially when I started doing my own businesses. Right, right. Like um, you know, cause like I said, it's just about a confidence. You can, you can, you can have be successful in a lot of things if you're just confident, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah, yeah. you can learn, you know, as you're being confident, but being confident, I think is a super important step, especially if you're going to be an entrepreneur. I mean, you and I both deal with business owners that, they're just not ready to be business owners. 
you know, they're just not there yet, you know, whether it be mentally or whatever, um, you know, they're kind of treating it as a hobby type of thing. And I've always believed you can't do that. I mean, obviously you can have hobbies that you can make a little money at, but if it's your business and your livelihood, you need to jump in with both feet and everything else. Right. You know, and be willing to risk everything. Right. You know, um, I've met entrepreneurs that, you know, still have their job because they're not ready to take that plunge into self-employment or, you know, and they're ready as far as financially they're ready, but you know, it's just, it's that confidence. They just don't have that confidence. So I don't blame them for not, they actually shouldn't go into that if they're not confident that they can succeed. Absolutely critical. You've got to have the confidence, the ability to just face challenges head on, put the head down, shoulder into it and just keep grinding regardless and have that, I think as well, probably that never ending or dying optimism that, you know, I'm going to push through this. This is going to work. Um, you've got to have, yeah, or no, even, even shifting gears. I mean, when we, mm. when we had to shift our second year of SEO spring training to digital, because it was literally three weeks before COVID hit, um, we had no intention of canceling. There was that didn't even come into the conversations. Yeah. It was just like, what are we going to do now? What do we need to do? What do we need to set up? What do we need to buy? What do we need to do to make this successful? And it ended up being a thousand percent better than anybody expected. Mm. And I think it happened at the right time because it was right at COVID. Everything was locked down. People were, you know, a little antsy. They wanted something to do. So we had, you know, 700 plus people come to this conference digitally. Um, and we would have never been able to do that if we would have had our conference like normal in Tempe, Arizona. Mm-hmm. You know, so, um, but again, there was no, there was never a question about canceling. Yeah. It was always, okay, what do we need to do to shift? You know, we can do this and right. we can do it better. Right. And so that's the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to uh, kind of look at the situation or the reality and be prepared to pivot. We've, we've talked a lot about pivoting on the show in the past with various guests and as an entrepreneur that you've got to have your eyes wide open and ready to see either the opportunity or the necessity to pivot. And um, I think, uh, you know, that's critical if you're going to continue to go down the path, I think. So I want to touch base on a bunch of your other experiences. You mentioned one, which was real estate. But before we do that, though, I do want to give you an opportunity. Tell us about Salterra Web Design. What do you guys do? Uh, what capacity? Just give us a little bit about your organization. It started out as Salterra Web Design. We started out just doing websites. Um, I'm a software developer, so I do a lot of um patient portals, you know, client portals, stuff like that. Um, and then we specialize in churches, charities, foundations, um, not so much the nonprofit area, but the prop, but the area that we could improve their, you know, improve their flows, you know, make money by having less resources and stuff like that. So, and then about three years into that, I got kind of forced into SEO, um, um, I had one of my charities that was just paying a ton of money and she was in penalty and didn't have any idea what that meant. It was back when the first animal came out of Google. Um, and so it's that's I just got into it and I started learning. I learned SEO from the negative SEO side and how to get somebody out of penalty. So it was a kind of different experience. 
Um, and then I just started grasping into it because of the code aspect of it. Um, web design was interesting to me until it went to WordPress. <laughs> <laughs> WordPress was no longer interesting to me. So um, my wife came on and she runs the whole um, web design, graphic design side of the business with my daughter. And then me and my son and my two sons, excuse me, um, run the SEO side, pay-per-click side. I'm at the point of my career now, I guess, in this business. This is our third business Elizabeth and I have had that we've been successful at. And right now I'm into more of the franchise SEO and the you know affiliate SEO and technical SEO and all that kind of stuff. And my two of my kids have been with me since they were 13 and 14 years old. And now they're in their 20s. So um, we travel together. We you know, do conferences together. We were very, very kind of close niche family business. So yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I uh, <laughs> that's where I got to meet two of your sons. I think we were at a conference in Vegas together and that's, they tagged along or, or were there with you as well. I love the idea about it. It's a family business. I think that's great. But I, uh, my son comes in and uh, I've been trying to teach him a little bit. I've, I've given him a little sphere of, uh, or domain of control here in our agency that he does some very specific stuff for us. And, uh, uh, so I think it's kind of a good way to teach him some lessons and, uh, he, he loves coding. So he, you would, the, the two of you would probably uh, get along just great because he loves coding. He's, uh, really doing quite well and, uh, uh, utilizing Python and, uh, doing a bunch of fun stuff, uh, from that. Yeah. Coding is, coding, coding is, and will control the world. Yes. <laughs> yes. It will. Um, so you mentioned that like, this is your third business, uh, that you and Elizabeth, uh, have, uh, accomplished here. Give us uh, maybe a tour, if you would, of uh, the other two businesses. You know, I know a, a bit of your background in real estate, and uh, I, I'm I'm certain it's probably somewhat tied into the uh, 08, 09 <laughs> issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, just give us uh, a little bit of background in some of your other uh, pursuits that you've uh, built. Well, um, the when I got out of the Navy, um, I stayed right into management and went into structural steel. So I was a general manager of a steel shop. Um, and the old, uh, the man, the old man died of a stroke um, and the wife just kind of folded everything. So I really didn't know what to do, but I kind of wanted to do something different. So um, my grandfather at the time was um, a vice president of Phelps Dodge Corporation, which is a large mining company. And so um, he got me a job or basically just told me you're going to go work for them. <laughs> okay. Um, and so I started working for them and that's where I learned computers. So um, I was a truck driver. I drove with a huge haul trucks for two years, but at the same time I was learning to build computers and mm. re and on the hardware side, not the software side. All right. And so I had a little computer business side gig. Um, I left Phelps Dodge and then met Elizabeth and Elizabeth and I, she worked for a mortgage company and I was working for Phelps Dodge at the time when I got, when I left Phelps Dodge, I said, okay, I'm done. I went to go be a health insurance agent. And so um, again, one of those things that if I'm going to do this, I'm going to jump in with both feet. I'm going to be the best. And, um, and we were, we were, I was very successful. I think I was number four in the country um, at one point, but Elizabeth decided to come over there with me. So that was our first kind of self um, employment entrepreneurship all commission sales insurance. 
So we'd come, I was Northern Arizona, Elizabeth was Southern Arizona and we'd come back and, you know, Thursday and Friday and I didn't make anything this week. What'd you make? Well, I didn't make anything this week. And so (laughs) that was the kind of, you know, the, um, I don't know, the sales commission sales, um, lesson of mine that I just, it was one of those things that was just brutal. I mean, we'd have great weeks and then we'd have terrible weeks right in a row. And so, um, that was our first gig together. We were successful. I call that a successful business because we, you know, we were able to, you know, eat and have a place to live and own cars and stuff like that. But, um, but then I met while we were doing that, I met a couple that were flipping houses. And so I was like, oh, okay, well, tell me about that. And so they invited me to a, one of those, um, I don't know, raw, raw conferences on a Saturday, you know? Um, so I went and met a couple people there. Um, obviously I'd been dealing with sales, so sales wasn't that big a deal for me, but I liked the idea of, um, basically just the way I learned real estate was I was flipping paper. I never actually owned anything. So I would put a piece of land under, under a contract and I'd flip that contract. And so, um, I'd buy it by land for $2,000 an acre. I'd flip the contract for $5,000 an acre and then I'd go on to the next one. So I did that by myself for about eight months. And then, um, I told Elizabeth, I said, let's do this together. Let's go after this thing. Let's go get some houses now. So, and this is the bad thing that can happen to a brand new real estate investors. The very first house we got, we literally made $80,000 in four days. Wow. It was, it was the craziest thing. And then now all of a sudden we're excited. <laughs> I mean, we're going to build this business. And so we went at it again. Well, I, I wanted to do it with other people's money. Um, just because of the fact I like, um, I like doing things with other people's money, with my money, with partnerships and, you know, every deals on its own type of thing. Um, and so I actually became very good at teaching people how to invest with their self-directed IRA and 401k. So um, I went up and down California and I did seminars, um, just teaching people to do with the money they're either sitting on or money they didn't realize they had. And so, and in California at the time, you know, you could have a million dollars in equity and buy eight houses in Phoenix. Mm. I mean, it was that much disparity in the market. So um, and so that's what we did. I came back, we had about $3 million in capital and we started flipping houses and, um, and we were flipping a lot. We were flipping anywhere, probably about between 20 and 30 a month at some point, at some time. Yeah. That's um, an operation. I was, I was running the house side of it. Elizabeth was running the construction side. So, um, we had 72 people in our, we had two different construction companies, 72 people. Um, and we were just flipping houses like crazy. And it was, it was so profitable. We were flipping them here. We had a piece in Indiana. Um, we were flipping houses in Indiana, Northwest Indiana for the Chicago market. And then I was getting into land, big pieces of land, um, and bigger projects like marinas, um, buying up dilapidated apartment complexes, stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, when the market crashed in 2010, nine, somewhere in there. Um, we lost 17 houses in escrow in one day. And mm. so, um, biggest business mistake I made was I say, okay, we're going to become a rental company. So we had all these houses that were either done or almost done. 
And we went back and re-remodeled houses. So we would take out $30,000 kitchens and put in a $10,000 Ikea kitchen for a rental property. Because I didn't want <laughs> I didn't want these oak cabinets and these fancy stuff in this rental property. So, And so we ended up having about 70 rentals. Um, and it was just a freaking nightmare. We all thought the market would come back. Right. Um, nobody expected the market to be affected by the credit market. The credit market was the big, you know, oh shit moment. Mm-hmm. You know, we all knew that we all knew there needed to be a leveling, just like today. There's right. gonna be right. a leveling. Um, there has to be because there's we've gone way past the affordability index. So if you don't have first-time home buyers buying homes. You're going backwards, right? And that's where we're at today, and that's where we were at then. But again, nobody expected for it to just shut down the world credit markets, you know. So we just figured there'd be an adjustment. We were figuring we were thirty percent above board where we should be as far as housing prices in Phoenix, um, and so our houses had forty percent equity in them, you know, thirty to forty percent. So we were we planned on the recorrection, you know, and so. But at the end of the day, our houses ended up losing 64%. Oh. So we were so underwater in our rental properties. Mm. And these are now we have a group of not nice renters. Mm. These are people that are pissed off. They lost their house. They, well, for whatever reason, they just were not good renters. Mm. And so we were having major damages done to houses. Um, the final draw was I had a renter pull up his truck to the back or back his truck up to the house and tie his bumper around the hose bib on the outside of the house and just take off. Oh, did about $35,000 to the damage of the plumbing. Um, and let alone the water damage in the house. It was just, it was brutal. And this is a house that's already $28,000 underwater. And so we just shut it down, um, gave up. You know, it's kind of like I said, it was a sad point, but at the same time, we're like, you know, well, we got to rebuild. Elizabeth went to go work for a call center. Um, I actually happened to have shoulder surgery right at that time. So I was pretty much laid up anyways. And so I started doing websites. Mm. That's how we got into this one. Mm. You know, so um, it was just one thing after another. But yeah, the I love the real estate part of it. I will probably do it again at some point. I still even help people do it here as a consultant type thing. But I won't do it with other people's money this time yeah. because that was the worst part is everybody, everybody was secure, but their money, they still lost money because the properties lost money. Right. You know, so um, it's not like that, you know, I took a bunch of money from people. That wasn't the case. It was just the property that they were attached to was now $40,000 underwater. What are you going to do with it? You know, um, and the bad thing about that was is there was also an opportunity that people could buy the same houses that we were selling for 300, you could buy that same house for 90,000 bucks. Right. So that was, I was trying to convince these investors and some of them went for it on their own, which I'm, I'm very happy for, but I'm just like, guys, you realize it, just give this house up and you can rebuy this house for, for a third of what is on it already. Right. <laughs> you know? And so that was the, that was the disappointing part. You know, it's just the, the dealing that I love my investors and I, I'm just like I do with this business. I over communicate, you know, they know about everything. I didn't hide anything. You know, there was never anything like that as far as doing things outside the norm. It just, the market crashed, right. you know, and it sucked, you know? Yeah. So um, that was the bad part about it. But 
you know, I still have a lot of investor friends, you know, they, they're doing different things, trying to get me into crypto, which will never happen probably, but um, <laughs> I don't know. I like tangible assets. Yeah. Well, considering uh, today's crypto prices is probably it's a, a good decision at the moment anyway, or, or, or you can look at it the other way. I'm like, well, you might be able to get in at the, uh, at a bottom level, even on some of this stuff, but yeah, that's hard. Yeah, for sure. Well, that is a incredible journey that you went through, especially in the in the real estate side. And as much as we did well with the real estate, Salterra is really a passion now because yeah. we can help people, we can help businesses. You know, we I Elizabeth rebuilt a website last weekend because the old agency stole it from them. Uh, so she just rebuilt it through Wayback Machine and he was up and running two days later. Nice. You know, nice. Nobody does that for people, yeah. you know? And so yeah. obviously this guy is going to become a good monthly client. Sure. Well, there is a lot of great satisfaction. I mean, I love seeing our uh, businesses, our, our clients succeed and just grow. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, that that's really exciting that we can be a part of that for them. But I love your stick to itiveness. I guess you know your your mindset. A lot of people would have let uh, your real estate experience kind of kick them and uh, kick them to the curb, and you know they just go back and we do uh, some basic. I mean, we saw we saw. A lot of our dear friends yeah. go through divorces during that time. Um, you know, they didn't really have anything to do with us, but just because of the, you know, people losing things sure. and the economy. And I mean, it was just, it was amazing how people that we thought their marriages were pretty strong are just now folded. And Elizabeth and I are sitting there going, well, we're, we're fine. We're actually stronger. Yeah, we yeah. don't have any money, but we're okay. <laughs> you know, it's just, you know but I think, I think that's kind of a big, you know, I, I probably wouldn't have been in that situation with my first wife. As yeah. a matter of fact, I know I wouldn't have been. She would have probably left as soon as some money was lost. Mm. And she was that, um, you know, material driven, mm. you know, to where we're not material driven. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, well, that's so, good. Well, I know it, some of that I'm, I'm certain is just about the way that you approach business and your mindset. I want to get into that a little bit. But for now, it is that time of the show. And it's time for the seventh inning stretch. So, Terry, do you like baseball? Love it. Love it. My, my family has season tickets to the Diamondbacks. Nice. I love I love that that you like baseball because uh, this is the time of the show where I get to ask you like uh, a little baseball trivia here, uh, and uh, because you are in spring training. Nirvana. Uh, we were there a few years ago. I got to go to a couple of uh, Cubs spring training games. So I've got a question, a, a couple of questions, maybe. We'll we'll hit one for sure around spring training. I don't know if you knew kind of the some of the history around spring training uh, baseball, but um, it really is pretty fascinating. Do you know? So spring training started. Back in 1890, if you uh, are familiar with that, actually. And actually, even, even, I have to go back to my notes, actually even earlier than that, 1886 is when uh, it first started. So here's your question. And it wasn't in Florida, and it wasn't in Arizona. It was in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Uh, Hmm. But here's your question. Do you know which team 
was the original team that started spring training season. Boy, this is a real arcane question. My my researcher like, man, she really pulled a good one here. Uh, so uh, the original team that started spring training, any idea? I have. It has to be somebody up in the winter area. Yeah. Well, they were all kind of up in the winter area at that point, but um yeah, yeah. So it was the brainchild of uh, the team president at that time, Albert Spalding, right, of the great Spalding yep. fame. Uh, yep. And it was, he was the team president and owner of the Chicago White Stockings, which is today's Chicago Cubs. Exactly. Yep. Yes. I knew that. Yes. A lot of people think it's the Chicago, it's the Chicago White Sox that yes. they became. Wasn't, it was no, no. So here's a little more trivia. Which was the team to move to Phoenix and start the Cactus League? Uh, do you know which team started that particular league? The Giants. I would say I think San Francisco Giants have been here the longest, but I don't remember. Actually. So. Uh, uh, another team kind of dear to our hearts here, the Cleveland Indians. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, back, okay. back in the And Cleveland day. doesn't come here now. I think Cleveland goes to Florida. Yeah, kind of crazy. No, no, Cleveland is still in the Cactus League. They're still there. Are they really? Okay, yeah, 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 I don't... Yeah, the Cactus yeah. League here is basically East Valley and West Valley. So East Valley is Cubs, Giants, Diamondbacks, Padres, right. you know, that group. And then on the other side is your... Um, you know, Royals and Angels and <laughs> those yeah. type of people on the West Side. Yeah, so. no, in uh, 1947, uh, a, a gentleman named uh, Bill Veek uh, purchased the Indians. And then he, at the same time, he convinced the New York Giants to give Phoenix a try. And so the Cactus League was born in uh, 1947. Yeah. That's where it started. It's uh, it's one of the biggest things here. Oh, I love it. I don't know if 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 folks have not gone to and Phoenix and I haven't. I'd lived in Florida years and years and years ago, and I had gone to some uh, spring training games there, and it's nowhere near what it's like today because in today's world. Yeah. These stadiums are like, could be, you know, they don't seat as many as like what Wrigley Field is going to seat, but they are beautiful stadiums and just oh, and, terrific and, and, facilities. And, and better food than the normal baseball time. The spring oh, training is known for better food. And then you go to the game, normal yeah. game, and they don't have the same food. It's like, what the heck? Yeah. Where's the deep fried 12 inch corn dog that I had at spring training? <laughs> yeah, no, I had a blast at uh, spring training. That was great. All right. Well, let's get back. Yeah, there'll, into there'll, it. Be, there'll be a, there'll be a million people coming here for that six or seven week spring. Training. Oh yeah. I can only imagine. Yeah. It's everywhere. It's just pretty cool. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Play ball. I know from our previous and various conversations, I don't know, you and I met, I, I, I don't know, we probably met online actually probably a few years ago. And uh, I think we actually got to meet face to face maybe a year or so ago. But I know through our various conversations, you rely on processes in automation uh, to mm-hmm. help achieve some efficiencies and growth. I am curious, how did you come to adopt that philosophy and why do you think it's so important in running and operating your business? 
Well, when I um, when I first started Saltera, and um, this was kind of when Elizabeth came on to do the websites, I had started doing more. Um, I called it efficiency consulting. So um, there's a lot of businesses here in Phoenix that are very old, you know, 50, 60 year old businesses, and almost every one of them are very inefficient as far as their processes. So give you an example. There was a company here that would um, make metal stamps and these metal stamps can be used for scrapbooking businesses or all kinds of little things, little metal stamps, all on plates. And they actually hired us to do a website. Well, while I'm sitting there, I'm watching these orders come off this fax machine and be handed out to these seven girls in this office. And they were loading things from the fax machine paper up, you know, loading them on a, you know, quasi spreadsheet, so to speak. And so I was like, wow, that's interesting. So I just kind of observed. I scheduled with the owner to come back like three days later for a tour of the business because I'm fascinated in manufacturing. I think manufacturing is one of the coolest things. But this one was so broken. And so he introduced me. You know, I saw the where the orders come in. That's where the process starts for them. The order comes in. The, the girls in the office do the fulfillment forms and the fulfillment forms just starts going down the line. Anyway, so I, I identified like seven different areas that we can improve efficiencies. And so I talked to him about it. I said, you know, I said, would you be willing if I asked you some questions, if I can help you with some of your efficiencies? And he said, heck yeah. I said, what is your error rate in the order room? And he said about 30%. Oh. So those girls coming off the fax machine and loading it manually into a ordering system is a 30% mistake rate. <laughs> like, wow. wow. You know, so, um, and so we started talking about, you know, as the orders come out, everything's manual. So they literally took a packet of papers to the next department and the packet and the next department would take these packet of papers and then they would stamp when things got done, all manual. Nothing, nobody really knew where, like, if you wanted to know where Bob's project was in the process, they couldn't tell you without going out and looking at everybody's manila envelopes. Um, anyway, so the first thing we did is I gave him a bid to redo his complete order system. I said, we're going to put the ownership of the order order on the person ordering. So it's not going to be on the person entering the order. It's going to be the person ordering the product. So if there's a mistake. That's where the mistake starts and stops. And so we we automated the process. Basically, we you know did we converted their um, paper catalog, so to speak, into a database that people could order from. And so um, and they could do special orders. So just like a portal, you know, Bob would log in and Bob could see his past orders and he could say, yeah, I want two of these, ten of these, add these, track these submit. Well, anyways, now it comes back and it comes into just one person doing the approval. So unfortunately, seven people lost their job in that room. Mm. Um, And this is, I charged them 15 grand for this. And so I don't know how much, if I did the math, they probably made that money back in a month. Right. Um, Anyway, so that was the first process. And then I installed, I made them install a barcode system. So everything was a barcode system. So if you want to know where Bob's plate was in his order, well, it went through, you know, the table five over here where they break the plate apart or whatever the pieces. So it became very, very efficient. And it's, it basically was a huge passion of mine to 
you know, make businesses more efficient. When I started to looking at Solterra, web design was one thing. Web design, there's really not much you can do to make that very efficient, um, except for make sure you have good, quick designers. But on the SEO side, the marketing side, that was all kinds of things we could do. So um, one of the first things we did is I wanted to automate my reporting because I said, if I'm going to get into this business, I want to be able to report facts, not send somebody a PDF with a whole bunch of made up numbers, which you and I see all the time. And so I wanted them to see exactly what I saw. You know, it might be over overload for them, but I didn't care. You know, you're going to see what I see and you can go as deep into this as you want or not as deep. And so that was the first thing I did is I automated my reporting system. And then everything else was just going out for them. So because now we have tools like Go High Level and, you know, Zapier and all these things we're tying in through our clients and into their databases. So we do a lot of work for automation, our clients for, you know, whether it be form funnels or email marketing or all that type of stuff is all, all automated. And it's, and it needs to be because it's, you know, you don't want to have these little, I call them task projects that you pay people for. And um, because if you can automate them and you just do spot checks every once in a while to make sure the automation is still correct, then, you know, you don't need to have somebody on staff making sure the conveyor belt's working. So you just, you just need to be prepared when the conveyor belt stops. Why the hell did it stop? Let's get it back working again and go again. Right. So um, and that's, I did kind of the same thing in the real estate. I mean, we, when I started looking at how we remodel houses, it was basically three levels of remodel, you know, level one was, you know, pretty basic. This is going to be a flip for an investor, or this is going to be a rental property. And then obviously they'd go up from there, but I did that so I could buy product in bulk. I was buying a hundred thousand square feet of carpet at a time. You know, you know, I buy 10 pallets of tile at a time right. because I knew that in 10 houses, eight of these houses are going to get this carpet. You know, eight of these houses are going to get this tile. Right. And so I, it's all about efficiencies. It's all about buying in bulk. It's all about, you know, doing some reason my, my content bill has changed so much is because I buy so much content in bulk. So it's, it's that kind of, you know, stuff that I think agencies, when they get to a certain level, um, need to look at more about processes, efficiencies. Elizabeth and I just got back this morning. Every six months, we go get a hotel room here locally to get away from the business, get away from the family, and we do nothing but business stuff. Mm. So um, we're in an expansion mode right now. So that's what we did yesterday. Where do we need? What are the holes in our processes? What people do we need to hire um, you know, and get ready for the next one. And then in two months, we'll do it again for a finance meeting because we right. do them for a business meeting and a finance meeting. We never try to combine them. <laughs> yeah. The finance meetings get a little heated. <laughs> 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 but uh, but we learned a long time ago, even when we were back in real estate, that you can't have these type of meetings in your own environment. Right. You have to get a different environment. You know, we used to take hotel weekends and go away for three or four days, but then that became inefficient because all we wanted to do was eat food and go see things. Yeah, and play. Now we just do one day. We have one day to get it done and then we're back at it. Yeah. So, 
you know, again, it's just looking at efficiencies and making sure that you're doing the right things at the right time for the right reasons. Yeah, I think that's a great, uh, a great idea. Again, we had a guest on the show and they talked about something they do within their organization every week is what they do and which they call it whiteboard Wednesday and they just pull everybody together and they just start kind of examining different segments of the business and what they can do to either improve or to expand, um, try to run through some exercise of like thinking out of the box, even trying to be creative. And I, I think it's a, that is a critical phase for any business owner, I think, to be sure that they spend time to think about their business and examine their business. And what's that next opportunity? What's that next pivot? Uh, yeah. that they may need to face and or prepare for. Um, well, and there's some things that businesses just don't do anymore that we still do. Like I'm a huge believer in team building, mm. you know, go get away for an afternoon and go do something, right? Go karts, yeah. do something. And then we also do what we call dream tours. You know, if you can get your employees, especially quote unquote, my kids, if I can get them to dream about owning this $700,000 house, right. Then, I'm going to get more motivation and, and desire out of them. Yeah. So, you know, we'll go out and look at, I, one of my kids loves fancy cars. So we'll go out and look at the freaking Lamborghinis and, you know, <laughs> Merce, you know Maseratis and stuff. And, nice. You know, and it's just, it's just dream building. Yeah. You know, it's just, you know, you can get this if you want it, especially working with me. I mean, I've got my, my youngest son, Skyler, who you met in Vegas, sure. just, nobody knows how to buy domains like he does. He's been buying domains for seven years. That's wow. all he's ever done for me is buy domains. And he is good. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I even have people like, you know, friends of mine, will say, hey, can you have Skyler find me some domains around? <laughs> yeah, blah, blah, blah. And he'll yeah. do it. You know, so but that's a skill he could do a number of things with. Sure. And so. One of the things that I try to instill in my children is don't get comfortable because you work for mom and dad. You need to be your own people, you know, and don't think you're going to get my business. <laughs> I'm going to leave you my business. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but like, you know, all my kids, I'm like, you can be expats. You can be living in Thailand right now making, you know, $100,000 a month. There's no limit to what you right. can't do, right. especially when you have this type of business. And, so, but yeah, that's, that's a fact is, you know, dream building, team building, you know, making sure that all your people are on the same page as you is so important. Yeah. Yeah. I love how you try to focus on what's around the corner and the efficiencies and how do you optimize using technology to optimize. But at the same time, you also have some kind of, uh, I'll call it old school kind of mentality or approach to, to business as well. I watched you do an interview where you were talking about, uh, I'll, I'll throw it up to you this way. You were talking about your driving habits and marketing and, mm-hmm. uh, uh, which, uh, w- what you do, I think is a little bit of an old school kind of marketing approach, especially when you're yeah. thinking, Hey, you're a, you're a digital agency here. Why don't, you, why don't you share a little bit of that? I mean that yeah I mean it's we have a um, the back of my Nissan Pathfinder is a is a window you know and it tells you know affordable web design marketing pay per click as my website and our phone number um, well I, at the time I paid like 150 bucks for that I think it's probably up a couple hundred now but um, and I've made 
close to six hundred thousand dollars, if not more, on that one little window. And it, <laughs> and it does it does matter how you drive. I mean, I drive in the center lane in the three lane highway. You know, I'll speed up and get in front of a plumber truck so right. I can see my window. You know, and so it, it's still a strategy. It's old school. Um, I'm very old school. I still carry a planner in my meetings. Nice. Um, I still have a Franklin planner, and I always will. Um, and then I'm, you know, I still have business cards. I mentioned during, I think that interview that <laughs> I, in Miami, when I spoke in Miami, I was the only one with business cards and I'm like, what happened to business cards? <laughs> you know, like, I used to, I've got piles of them. Yeah. Hey, I still but, have um, mine too. Yeah. Um, but that's just, you know, I, cause I do think that if you're, especially if you're self-employed and you're not always marketing, always marketing, then what are you self-employed for? You know, I mean, People talk about, I mean, I mentioned some business owner a couple of weeks ago about his elevator pitch. He didn't have a clue what the hell I was talking about. And I was like, dude, if somebody asks you, what do you do? What do you tell them? You know, I said, you got 90 seconds, go. He couldn't. Uh-huh. And I'm just like, I'm like, that's, that's what you need to get to the point of if right. you are a small business owner and you're building your brand, right. it's all about the brand, then you need to be ready for every single circumstance, Yeah, you know? Um, and I, I'm a huge believer in that. And I've, I've even dropped my business guy. I was at Starbucks a couple months ago. I keep business cards in my wallet, obviously. And this guy behind me was giving this poor lady the biggest pile of crap about marketing I've ever heard in my life. And I stood up and I handed her my business card. When I walked out the door and said, I'll tell you the truth. Give me a call. Uh, she did that afternoon. She's now a client. Nice. You know? And so it's just, <laughs> You know, it's it's always marketing yourself, always being confident, right? You know, in what you do, and always you know, looking and for that just, opportunity, that next opportunity. Yeah, you know, and and I have a passion with people teaching the wrong thing in this business. It's one of the reasons why I started our conference is because I wanted people to learn real, tested, proven things, not going to a Facebook group and learning something and applying it on your client site. Now, all of a sudden, your clients in more trouble than he ever started with you. So. Um, so I'm always looking for out for stuff like that because you and I have both seen small business owners just get really ripped off. In yeah. This business. <laughs> yeah. Really ripped. I mean, yes. to the point of really sad. Yeah. And it's, you know, I'm dealing with one right now. This poor guy's just going through hell, leaving his, leaving his old agency, but he didn't have a clue. He didn't know, nor should he, he should be running his business, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, but yeah, I, so that's a- I, yeah. I think we both probably have have a number of horrible stories. I think even before we started hit hit the record button, I think we were you were sharing about a uh, a client who had their old agency had essentially had held hostage or had taken your client's yeah. website. I've had that same experience where a client is like, "Listen, I don't have control. The site is wherever," and so we went did a very similar thing. We went back and rebuilt a site based off of the archives. Yeah. And as long as they have yeah. control of their domain, everything. Can make right. Sense. Right. If yeah. they don't have control of their domain, they're in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Terry. So here we come. We're at the bottom of the ninth and okay. this is where I get to ask guests. What advice would you have for, you know, those folks who are just getting into business um, or maybe those folks who've already had their business for a little bit and are looking for some guidance from old veterans like you. What uh, um, would you like to share? The first, the, 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 probably the thing that surprises me the most about business in general, and I've been self-employed now 25 years, I think, um, 
and yeah, close to that. But um, I think like nobody does a business plan anymore. You know, I even used to ask when they'd contact me if they have a business plan. No, I, I'm a old school. No, I believe that if you don't have your plan on paper, then you're going to be floundering, you know, and that's the plan going into the process. And once you get into the process, you have to have a plan for every process and that's SOPs. Um, and so a lot of people that I, and we're, we're even bad at SOPs. A lot of the meeting that Elizabeth and I had yesterday were, was about missing SOPs. SOPs are tough for an agency, um, especially like mine that does a lot of testing. When you do a lot of testing, your SOPs change a lot. Um, and then you have to implement. But I think that if you, if you, if you don't have a plan coming into it and on paper, something that you can go back to six months later and compare yourself with, then I'd think you're floundering. Um, I'll, and if you're kind of come into this business and learn SEO, quote unquote SEO, then you need to learn on your own websites. You need to build your own website. You need to rank your own website. You need to test things on your own websites. You know, I have 13 websites for Salterra. So I test everything and all different variables, different markets, different, you know, different, you know, geographic areas and all that stuff. And all that stuff, I think, is super important if you're serious about SEO. If you're just going to come into it because you think it's easy money, then you're probably going to get destroyed. Pretty yeah. <laughs> you know, so um, because you can make a lot of I mean, I have friends in this business that are making a million dollars a month. Yeah. You know, you can make a lot of money in this business, but you have to take it seriously. You have to have a plan going in and you have to be able to implement the plan throughout. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm the first one. I teach this stuff. I'm the first one to tell people that I am not a model in that model because I'm, I'm busy. I'm so busy. You know, when, when Elizabeth and I sit down for our meetings, we look at each other and go, damn, we haven't had an SOP for that. I mean, that's all up here. <laughs> so if I get hit by a bus, you know, it's all gone. Yeah. So, you know, obviously now tomorrow I'm going to be making about 20 different videos so, <laughs> that I found out yesterday that I don't have. Yes. But, um, you know, so that's it. Yeah, that's, you know, you got to have a plan going in. And you have to make sure that you're continuing to plan while you're going through it. Yeah. Good advice. Good advice. Well, Terry, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, folks can reach you, check you out and Saltera at uh, Saltera.com. No, salterasite.com. Oh, it's there a S-A-L-T-E-R-R-A-S-I-T-E.com. There we go. Salterasite.com. All right. We'll have the links and uh, some other places where they can find you all in the show notes. So uh, folks, go check those out and uh, you'll be able to get in touch with, uh, with Terry at uh, Saltera. And uh, again, man, it's great to chat with you again. We were just together at a conference in New Orleans not too long ago. So very fun to see you and uh, catch up with yep. you there. And hopefully uh, Nashville coming up here pretty soon. There we go. Uh, great food in all of those places. I tell you, that's what I probably missed the most out of New Orleans. It was such great food. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It was a lot of fun. And then I think we're also going to fire back up SEO spring training in April next year. Yeah, so that should be fun. Good, good. All right. Well, again, hey, Terry, thank you so much, man. Thanks for being on the show. Appreciate it. Thank you very much, Randy. All right. Folks, that's the ball game. Thanks for joining us today. And if you like our show, please tell your friends, subscribe, and we'll see you around the ballpark. Running the Bases with Small Businesses is brought to you by 38 Digital Market. 
a digital marketing agency committed to client growth with lead generation, higher conversions, and increased sales. Connect with us today at 38digitalmarket.com.